where two sisters try to develop and pitch a board game concept in under an hour. I'm Miriam. I'm Georgia. We're Big Crow Games, and you can find us at Big Crow Games on Twitter, or see some of our creations on our itch page at big-crow.itch.io. Man, we should probably consider alternatives to Twitter, huh? Yeah. I mean, we do have a Tumblr, I'm just not updating it. But I could update it. You're listening to a rare, but possibly uh, increasingly common in the future... Same room podcast. Yeah, episode. We are. we're in the same place, which you'd think would mean we're going to talk over each other less, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and this is the January episode. Is first... this our first episode of 2023? Yeah, first sister episode of 2023. First episode, yeah. We yeah we we're entering an era of our third year of podcasting. Whoa! Yeah, because we started in 2021. Obviously not our third, like, full mm-hmm. year, but, like, our... Yes. Our, first cal- our third calendar year. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exciting times. This might even be number 25, but I'm not going to do the counting. It's possible. It's possible. We're about to hit our quarter century. Well, yeah. So, uh, yes, it's the beginning of a brand new year, and we're done with month gimmicks. <laughs> we're just running with uh, whatever we've thought of. Uh, so, without further ado, let's do it. Let's jam. Georgia, what are your theme and mechanic for this game? Okay, um, the mechanic I've chosen, really simple, but I basically don't think we've done it, or if we've done it, we have done it extremely rarely. I like a dice game. Okay, yes, cool. Uh, and your theme? Uh, well, inspired by you... Uh, being here and staying with me for a few days, I thought it might be good to make a game about sisters or sisterhood. Okay. What about you? Um, I, I've i gone an interesting direction in comparison to that. So my mechanic idea, or not necessarily a mechanic, but I thought it might be interesting to try and make an epic game, or, you know, one of those games that takes a long time, and, like, if you're going to play it, with your friends, that's like the plan for that afternoon, and you all like sit down and get snacks. A game with like a four hour plus playtime, something like that. You know, you know, yeah. Okay. Um. So that could be interesting. the 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 theme that I brought was like garden ornaments. You know, like the kind that you often see at a garden center: a small like fake stone rabbit, or a garden gnome. Or even possibly the kind of like weird, fun, um, like dioramas that people set up on their lawn with mannequins. <laughs> mm. <laughs> is there any sort of is there anything that prompted this theme? Um, honestly, I think I was thinking about the podcast when I was stacking shelves in the cafe, and I don't even remember what I saw, but something just made me think of gnomes, and I was like, "We're going to do that." <laughs> okay, so I mean. Sometimes, when we all bring our ideas, I immediately have some sense of how they'll fit together. This time I'm not so sure. No. So thinking about games with a long playtime, or like epic games, I don't play a lot of those. No, me neither. 
Are there any that you have enjoyed? Um, well, I suppose we both enjoy a bit of like tabletop role play, right? That's so true, and that takes a long time. That does take a long time, and I guess that's often the sort of basis of a longer game is like some kind of more narrative or mm, I guess yeah like something more narrative or that's that's tied more into a particular story or unfolding of events it also involves rolling dice yeah um but no I mean I'm not normally one for those kind of games but that's kind of why I wanted to do this because I like the idea of having something that you can like sit down and enjoy with your friends and you're all there and all you know gonna love it but I just feel like the type of games they often are doesn't usually appeal to me. The word you chose as well, you chose epic game rather than saying a game with a long playtime. Yeah. So to me, an epic game doesn't just take a long time to play. It might sort of also take place over a long time span. Like the story that it tells might last multiple months or years. Okay. Or even decades rather than being, you know, a, a game about like a single skirmish or something. Yeah, that could be true. Um, yeah, I I guess uh, who yeah I we I guess it remains to be seen. But yeah, I just thought it might be interesting to see what we could do with a longer playtime, but without necessarily making it like Twilight Imperium kind of type thing. Mm. I feel like a game with a longer playtime probably does need more complexity <coughs> than we naturally tend towards. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got like only very simple actions then you'd be doing them so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, What about Sisterhood? Did you have some thoughts about that kind of theme going in and what it might look like, even if they might be extremely divorced from a, <laughs> an epic narrative game? I wouldn't say that I had any really clear ideas. I guess, like, I was sort of thinking about, like, relationships and connections. I was also thinking about Sisterhood in, you know, a relatively, like abstract way you know like the the ways in which those of us who maybe like occupy feminized positions in society kind of have you know a responsibility to each other and a relationship to each other that goes beyond you know like literally being sisters like you and i are Mm -hmm. um and you know how we might express or fail to express that sisterhood yeah uh that's kind of heavy i guess like thinking about an epic thing I suppose you could sort of do a Fellowship of the Ring kind of thing. Or we're like a convent of nuns, but we're battle nuns. <laughs> we're back to Warhammer. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, you know, you, you could maybe... Maybe it could be kind of a story about a sisterhood, like an epic game about a sisterhood of garden gnomes who are battling their way across the lawn to protect the tacky one-legged pink flamingo <laughs> yeah i mean that kind of is very much the thing that popped into my head when i knew that we were combining these elements um i guess minus the dice but dice would almost certainly be involved in the mm. um in the production of it yeah um i think thinking about a dice game i wasn't necessarily thinking a game just where you roll dice although that's obviously fine mm-hmm but I was thinking of something with, like, more of a dice-related element. So, you know, dice games can be, like, push your luck or sort of gambling type. Uh-huh. They can have that kind of angle to them. Yeah. So, uh, and then I was also thinking about how lots of games have, like, custom dice, you know, mm-hmm. like, attack dice where you have, like, 
one side has a strong attack, two sides have a normal attack, and three sides have a miss, or something like that. Yeah. Because you have this way of kind of, um, you know, manipulating probability with a dice game. Yeah. Well, a relatively, like, quote-unquote epic game that uses dice in an interesting way is Betrayal at House on the Hill, because you roll those probability dice to find out when the haunt is going to happen, and, like, you're rolling more. I can't remember quite how it works, but, like, as the game goes on, the probability is increasing. Mm. Um, So that does something interesting. But I wondered, would it be possible to do a long game that nonetheless is quite dice-centric? Yeah. Like... I think we can give this some thought. Is it, are we jamming now? Do we need to start the timer? Maybe we should start the timer. Okay. We are jamming now. So, some of the things that came to my mind, just as I was sort of, you know, turning these ideas over in my head, is things like the Lord of the Rings games, like Battle of the Five Armies and things like that. So I've never played any of those, but I've seen them reviewed, and they are complex, long play, you're moving little factions around, mm-hmm. um, you know, you. so I think it's two players for the main one, and like one of you represents kind of the forces of evil, and one of you is the forces of good. Okay. Um, so there's a head-to-head, it's competitive game, there's a big map, all of these things, and I think that all of those would translate to like a law ornament theme, should you so desire. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have different factions of law ornaments engaged in a kind of, um, you know, a battle. Uh, the other thing that came to mind was plants versus zombies. Yes, yeah. I, I, I definitely get that. Like, you know, you know like a, a garden battle sense. I also thought about it when I was kind of imagining this. Which is, you know, it, it is a different kind of game in a bunch of ways. It's a video game. Um, it doesn't actually really have many lawn ornaments in it, but uh, the thing I was thinking was kind of that it has a grid and you sort of set up a tower defence thing. Uh, maybe someone listening has never played Plants vs. Zombies. Go play it, it's so good. It's on Game Pass. Um, or, I mean, I'm sure you can get it for like a pound on Steam. Um, so, yeah, you're, you, the player in Plants vs. Zombies, are sort of setting up a tower defence against like an invading horde, but it all happens on like a grid. Mm. And I, so you could do something like that. Again, it would be a head-to-head game, I guess, a two-player yeah. game. But, you know, something where you're, you're... I don't really mean anything more similar to Plants vs. Zombies than you have, like, a movement grid and players are at either ends of the lawn. Uh-huh. You were talking about, like, the concept of epic as in, like, something taking place over a long period of time in fiction. And that made me sort of imagine, like, um, a thing, a, 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 an epic game which also incorporates, like, not garden design, but, like, garden layout. Like, I was imagining that, that this was the genesis of the idea, was that the, like, dice might change how the garden is laid out, like, what areas it has over time. Okay, so and it's you big like, landscape. Yeah, and you, like, enter different eras, and it's like, oh, the pond's bigger now, or the pond's been filled in, or now we've got a patio area, <laughs> and, like, that could change something about the terrain, or the, or the, um, I don't know, the journey that you're taking, or whatever. Yeah, I quite like that. I feel like, um... Yeah, sort of having like a garden board and then having like landscaping elements that you can add, raised beds and stuff. 
uh, that maybe have like movement penalties or something attached to them. Yeah, okay, I think, I think that's quite cool. Hmm. Um. So, do you think we've got we should, we've got like maybe like kind of a grid based game or? It does feel kind of grid based to me, but maybe like a hex grid or something like that. So it's okay. a bit there's a bit more movement option. Uh huh. And that could sort of um like jam with dice quite nicely, like the six. Yeah, the six sides. And are we gnomes? It feels like we are. Or kids? Like a sort of... Like a Honey, I Shrank the Kids grounded situation. I feel like the players are gnomes. But if the players are gnomes, then is this another cooperative game? Um... Or could it be like two factions of gnomes, or a real Romeo and Juliet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm afraid to tell you, there's quite a lot of media based in gardens. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, what's a fun? Oh, and we need to bring sisterhood in. Maybe that can give us kind of like what our story's going to be about. Maybe it's about two rival sisters. Oh, okay. And they. Uh, maybe it's an area control game. Okay. Okay. Area control games can be pretty epic in scope. Yeah. All right. And maybe like changing like landscape in the garden. Okay. An idea is happening. I don't know how good it is. So it would be about landscape in the garden to different like terrain types. Mm-hmm. But maybe so we played Mandala mm-hmm. recently, and Mandala has this mechanic where the amount of points you score for each colour kind of develops over the course of the game. Mm. So you you might get a lot of yellow cards early and then not find out till later that yellow cards are going to score you quite a lot of points, so you can kind of be like surprised by how well it goes. So maybe something like that, where each player sort of finds out over the course of play how valuable pond tiles or rockery tiles are to them, Okay. And so they're trying to do area control, but it's a bit of a, like, shifting uh-huh. area control thing. Yeah. So not quite area control, if it's... Area m- development, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Well, or it could be area control in that, like, rather than both of them having, like, one of them rockery scores them one point and one of them rockery scores them three point, one of them gains control of rockery and they score all the rockery area, but it would be possible for them to lose control of that somehow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was wondering whether it might be that, like, different terrains are kind of, like, favoured terrain for you. Like, maybe your movement's better in Rockery. Or maybe, like, I don't know, you you have a particular advantage when in Rockery. But do you think that there's no particular combat, per se? It's more completely about, like, changing the shape of the garden. Okay, so that is what I was thinking. But then I think the game stops being epic. Hmm. Because I think it would become quite a quick play, you know, sort of an abstract game. Yeah, yeah, it would be a bit more abstract. So, do we keep that whole abstract game that I've basically described, and then lay a more role-playing type okay. game on top of it, so that you have to simultaneously play this kind of like landscape management, point-scoring game, and at the same time, you have to maybe even sort of chess-esque you just kind of have to get to the other side and destroy your opponent's pieces 
Okay. And the first one of you to get to the other one's, to get a piece of the other one's base. Okay. Is the winner. Yeah. So, talking out loud how I think, like, a turn might go based on what you've said. I think yeah. it would be like at the beginning of the turn, you are doing something that's changing the yeah. landscape of the, the garden. You're taking the landscape phase. Um, and then you, like, can move, like, one, two or more units or something. Yes. Um... And, but at the same time as, so changing the landscape can potentially affect how your movement works, like in a way maybe similar to what I said. Yes. Or it can like give you, maybe you can only move within a certain type of landscape. Or you can move from area to area. So as areas get bigger, you can move further. Okay, yeah. Um, But at the same time, there's this kind of like um, scoring type battle going on that will affect... Like, at the end of the game, what the board looks like, you're looking at, like, scoring more points if you've got more of the thing that's more valuable to you. Yes, and I had an idea about how that might work that I'm not going to be able to explain very well. But if this was a dice game, and you had those actions, so you have, let's say, like, change a number of tiles on the garden, move a number of units a number of spaces, uh, make a number of attacks. You could roll that many dice Mm -hmm. and then assign a dice to each action. Ooh. But then maybe if you roll, there's like a number or a symbol you can roll that you're unlikely to roll Mm -hmm. that lets you claim a terrain type as yours. This is a super interesting game already. Um, and maybe you can steal terrain types Uh or something like that. Yeah. But so, you know, something like that. So you, you have the rare but important option of adding this kind of end of game scoring thing. Uh Uh-huh. And I think it would be possible to play the game all the way through, sort of lose, as in like have the opponent get their, one of their units to your base. Mm Mm-hmm. But then score a lot on yes. the garden terrain, so you'd have to balance it by having there like be yeah. points available for maybe killing enemy units and um, and like you know queening a yeah a get, piece getting to the others to the other base. Okay, yeah, I agree. It sounds like it's a point scoring game, and that like sort of a certain balanced percentage of the scoring comes from the actual action and a certain amount comes from the terrain. Yeah, the sort of Uh, underlying the landscaping game. Crazy. (laughs) Look, you wanted an epic game? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I, this, this sounds great. That's what I wanted to do, like, make an epic game that I guess just, you know, there may well be plenty of epic games that would interest me if I looked into them, but this is, you know, this sounds cool. (laughs) Um... Okay, so uh, so do you think it's two-player? I was seeing it as two-player, but I wonder if you could make it more player, like with it being a hexagonal, mm. if, it, if it is made up of hexagonal tiles, mm-hmm. you, could, you could maybe make it more. Yeah. I think that would, there's the possibility it would make the playing area sort of... Um, very large because I think you would want quite a lot of spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, 
Yes. What, what I was imagining is kind of a baseboard with all the hexagons like marked on it, but mm-hmm. it's just a plain lawn. Uh-huh. And it's got a base at either end. And then maybe there's a phase at the start where you add terrain tiles. Mm-hmm. Now, are the terrain tiles each individual hexagons, or are there like two, three, four, and five hexagon areas where maybe you have to spend a higher dice to place one of them? So I'm thinking a bit like Baron Park or something like that. You know how the different enclosures are different sizes? Uh-huh. So... If you mm. were, like, rolling dice and placing dice to take your action, mm-hmm. you could spend a higher value dice to get several, you know, a piece that's, like, three hexagons joined together in a shape. Yeah. I think it maybe wouldn't go higher than three is what I'm thinking. Okay. If it was a lot bigger than that, then you'd be sort of reckoning with, like, also which pieces are you replacing. Yeah. I guess. Because, like, because you might be aiming for an area but it's like oh that's made up of like a four and a two and a one and i can't like separate them okay do you see what i'm saying i think so yeah um okay. and you can like place tiles over yeah i guess the thing is that you'd want to change tile areas mm. so maybe individual hexes the way to go and just if you spend a five dice you pick up five of them okay i think i do like that better actually yeah that's fine um, because then you could place them however you want, unless we had a rule about mm-hmm. they've got to be placed adjoining or something yeah. like that. So yeah, the thing about... I guess you're right that it might end up being quite a lot of hexes, but if it is a six, then, you know, like a two-player game, you can be opposite each other. A three-player game, you can be kind of equidistant on the yeah. on the triangle. A four-player game or five is a little awkward, but... Yeah. Um, so it could be just a two-three-player game. Yeah. The hexes would probably have to be relatively small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, like, not so small that it would be an absolute nightmare to top them up at the end, but they need to be kind of, like... There needs to be enough of them that it has quite a big impact on the game, I think. Yeah, and you played Cascadia, didn't you? I did, yeah. That's the kind of size that I'm imagining would probably work, because, like, a decent-sized board, and some boards are quite table-filling. Yeah. Like... Especially for an epic game. Yeah. Maybe that kind of size? Yeah, that's cool. So a question that I've been turning over in my head is, are the different factions, you know, the Warring Sisters, do they have, like, the same pieces, like chess? Mm -hmm. Or do they have maybe, like, different playstyles, like one of them has a lot of one-hit-point minions and one of them has some big slow ones? Huh. Good question. Do we we want to sort of get into the fiction a little bit, or should we? Yeah, I think that the fiction is going to be what makes this interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Could there, is there, because we're, you know, our characters are our sisters who, you know, are like our rivals, is there any kind of, does gameplay reflect, you know, the, our shared history in some way or, yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm so, getting, I'm getting a little deep. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. So like, I think there's the, a question that's worth asking is like, if, if the sisters are rivals, is there an implied morality? Is one of them good and others bad? Or do they all just want different things and they're all a little bit good and a little bit bad? I feel like it, to me, it makes more sense to have it be shades of grey, but that's just kind of the way that I think about the world. I think it'd be, I personally think it'd be lame to have like a good sister and a bad sister. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so, but maybe there's something that we want or we've been fighting over the garden shed. <laughs> yeah, or 
yeah, like who just gets to be like, you know, maybe it's kind of um, you know, the fallout of like a, the main garden gnome has retired and you know, there's a power vacuum and we're okay, we're sort of competing to be the new head faction, uh, and I think like yeah, I would want there to be kind of like a distinct feel to the different factions, even if they weren't um, yeah, even if they weren't super different. Because obviously, I guess they're all gnomes. Mm-hmm. But then I guess your minions could be really different. Like, the three of you are all gnomes, but may- you know maybe one of you commands, yeah, like woodland animals made out of concrete. One of you's got sort of other gnomes. And one of you's got, like, sort of kitschier, like, you know, <laughs> like, like more tacky sort of things. Like, uh... Okay, yeah. Like the garden version of, like, one of those... Um... Bobby, Bobby had dashboard. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> or I was thinking it could be like, I don't know, awakened insects or something. Or topiary? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a good faction. Everyone, want, everyone wants to be topiary gnome queen. Hair is like a big <laughs> afro made of, like, plants. Okay. Uh, okay. So... I feel like we've kind of got the bones of it, so yeah, we need to think a little bit like... I do quite like the idea of the factions playing a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not going to be able to balance it like in the 42 minutes we have left in the podcast, but I think we know from playing various things that it works to have one player who can move quickly and have lots of units, but they're weak. Mm-hmm. One player who can kind of plough across the map slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one player that kind of balances in the middle there. Uh-huh. Yes. Like, it, I'm sort of building this around the idea of three, so that you can have a two-player game or a three-player Yeah. Um, you talked about, like, our dice applying to, like, movement, landscaping, attack, and you might have said something else. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and, like, number of units. Yeah, and also, like, the the ability to claim a... Mm-hmm. a, a Oh um, yeah, a terrain type. But I guess if if that was just a particular like symbol on the dice, then you would potentially be losing one of your other actions. Yeah. In order to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um. So what do we? I just, did just want to like, do, what happens when you attack? Like, if you attack something and you hit hit its health number, is it like destroyed? Is it like captured and moves back to the beginning of the map? Good question. So I guess each unit would be like a plastic or a figurine, a meeple, and a corresponding card. Okay. That had like your attack, your hit points, mm-hmm. maybe like the way it moves. Like if it had a chest type move, you know, it could, like with hexagons, you can do a lot with that as well, can't you? You know, like it could be move any number of joining spaces or it could be move as far as you want, but it's got to be in a straight line. Kind of like hive. Uh huh. Like it could be like based on individual hexagons or it could be based on like actual areas of the same terrain. Yeah, so maybe you have like one one unit type that could actually hop from pond to pond or something. A frog. Uh-huh. Um, in which case then it would be in your interest if you were that player not only to control pond type for point scoring and build as many po- ponds as you can but also yeah to like have the ponds be quite spaced out rather than one big area. Okay, yeah. So you could do things like that where there's kind of synergy between the 
what I'm thinking of as the landscaping game and what I'm thinking of as the battle game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Do we think that you can permanently remove a piece from the board or do you think you can only, like, I guess, inconvenience a piece? <laughs> I think you can permanently remove a piece from the board, but that... I think the way you'd have to make that work would be to have every army have the same hit points. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that... Uh, and then maybe when you're scoring that at the end, you score on how many hit points worth of units you removed from the board. So you would, like, claim its card if you removed it or something. Okay. Um, because otherwise, if you've only got, like, three pieces, but they're kind of juggernauts... Mm-hmm. You're, you've got an advantage if if the pieces removed get scored individually. Mm-hmm. But then I guess if you've got only got three pieces but they're massive, like you also can't. You can't really afford to lose any. Do of them. as much attacking, or I guess maybe, like if you can only attack one guy at a time, I suppose. Yeah, but you hit like a. I, I, my thinking would be that they kind of hit like a truck. Okay, sure. I feel like each of the sisters should probably have some kind of power or something that makes her unique so i guess you could have one that can spend say she rolls a six say you have to roll a six to use mm-hmm. your faction power uh-huh. but she could like resurrect a unit okay but not all of them could do that yes okay but other ones could like swap the position of their units teleport to the side of a rival unit mm-hmm. or to the side of a friendly unit something like that yeah okay cool 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 I feel like that would add a, a little bit more texture to it as well. Uh-huh. How many dice do you think you're rolling? Well, we had you were talking about them just being assigned to different like actions. Do you think that you always get to do every action? Or do you have to choose? That's basically what I'm asking, I suppose. Um, I think it might be more interesting if you choose. I think you could be right. And I think also it's there are some things I think where we're saying you would have to roll a particular thing to be able to do it. Uh-huh. You have yeah. to roll a particular symbol to be able to uh, to claim a terrain type. Uh-huh. You have to roll a six to be able to use your faction power. Mm-hmm. So that makes it more interesting if you choose as well. Like if you have fewer dice than options, mm-hmm. so there's always going to be some actions you don't take. Then when you get the ability to do a power a powerful action, there's like an opportunity cost. Yeah. You're not going to get to move or attack that turn or something. Yeah. Cool. So that would be like, maybe you get two dice and there are three choices, like movement. So with starting with um, like terrain, so like landscaping, that's one action. Movement. Attacking. Yeah, those would be the three Okay, yes. Things I think. Yes. Um and then you would also have these bonus things of score terrain mm-hmm. or you know, like claim terrain and special action. Yeah. Um so you yeah, two dice, three things to do. Yeah. So then if you have to do if you get to do both your powerful things, mm-hmm. you don't really get to do anything else that turn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of interesting things that you could do for special powers. Yeah, we don't, I guess, especially need to to get into it. But I was thinking, like, in a lot of dice games, a special power relates to doing something with your dice probability or, like, 
adding something. Yeah. And I was thinking another, like, very powerful thing you could do would be just, like, uh, I don't know, like, flip everything of a certain terrain type or something like that. Yeah. Um, that would be, that would be really good. It has made me wonder about, like, passive abilities versus abilities you have to spend a dice for. Like, you know, would it be, if you had one faction that seemed weaker than the others, could it get the ability to re-roll sometimes or something like that? Yeah. You know, there are lots of things you can do when you have dice, I guess. Um, so let's kind of imagine a turn of this game. So uh, we're playing against each other. Mm-hmm. I'm controlling the like heavy, slow faction, and you've got kind of a speedy faction that's maybe got some ranged attack or something. Okay. So I roll two dice. Uh, I roll a three and a four. Uh-huh. So, mm, now hold on. It might be three dice and four actions, because it might be choosing how many units you get to move as well. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I roll... Three dice feels slightly more satisfying to me. Like I, I was just feeling weird feel, about rolling yeah, two dice. I was feeling exactly the same, <laughs> I'm glad you said so. Okay, so I roll three dice and I roll a two, a three, and a four. Uh-huh. Uh, so I choose to move two units three times. Mm-hmm. So three spaces, or... Yeah. Um, and then I attack. Now, does the four do the damage, or is that, like, the number of units I can make my base attack with? I feel like it would be the number of units I can make my base attack with. Yes. Yeah. Does there want to be, like, a risk to attacking, or is attacking always, like, you always get the same thing? Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah, because you want there to be a risk of missing, almost. I suppose. I was thinking about that earlier, but I can't remember why I felt that was important. And I don't know if it is. And I also am not entirely sure that I want you to be able to, like, attack with all your units. Like, is that useful? Or is being able to do a big attack useful? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess it's kind of an interesting decision if you know, like, oh, I can get over to that one hit point guy. But then is it kind of a waste to use my four to attack him for four when he's only got one hit point? Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's like, um, I don't know if that's interesting enough. Um, and yeah. Yes. What is, what is attacking? I mean, is attacking just, you just spend a dice, it doesn't matter what's on the dice, but you can only attack if you assign a dice to the attack pool. Uh huh. In which case, like, you can pick one unit to make one attack, which is defined by their attack power on their card. Okay, yes. I guess with a, with if we've got like big bruiser characters, I guess they might need to have health trackers because it seems relatively unlikely they're ever going to be taken out in one hit. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, so you, yeah, maybe there's just little things that you could clip onto their card. Okay, yeah. You could just have a little side clip that just like slides down mm-hmm. their their health bar. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Okay, so. Okay, I roll my dice. I gain the ability to add three t- terrain tiles to the board. I'm going to add three rockeries because I, earlier in the game I gained the ability to score rockery at the end. Then I can move one of my units four, I guess. Mm. I see. I'm back. I'm going back and forth on the number of units moving. 
Is it that, like, if you put a four in that slot, you can either move four units one, or you can just make maybe four total spaces of movement. Okay. So four units one, one unit four, two units two. Uh-huh, yeah. That might be... Mm-hmm. That might be best. Okay, so I move one of my units four spaces, and then I assign a dice to my attack roll space, so I use my my attack, which is on my card, which is just, like, a two-damage attack. Uh-huh. And wipe out one of your little speedy, like, scout units. Uh-huh. Okay. And it's popped to the side of the board. Cool. And then play passes. Now, does everything that happened in that turn sound logical? It does to me. Yeah. I think that works. Do we have an end condition? At the moment, the end condition is getting a unit inside the enemy base. Okay. Um, and that that would score something for the person who did it, but it wouldn't. It doesn't necessarily make them the winner. We're adding up all points for all. Yeah, stuff. exactly. But I think it's worth a lot of points. Like, it, it would be worth. A, I don't know if having like a single terrain type of that you score is worth one. I think getting to your enemy's base is worth like fifteen. Like, okay. To outweigh it, you'd have to really uh-huh. control a good amount of the board. Yeah. Maybe even more. Yeah. Um, so something we haven't talked about too much since the start of the podcast, but which I think is important, is units having terrain compatibility. Okay, yes. Because the terrain, we want the terrain to work on both levels of the game. Mm-hmm. Not just an abstract thing you score points with, but a thing that that lets you do something. Yeah. So maybe it's just like every unit has like a good terrain and a bad terrain. Uh-huh. A bad terrain they can't go into. Okay. A good terrain, their movement's doubled uh-huh. on that space. So like if you roll three and one space is a terrain that you're good at, then you go four. Yes. Uh, I mean, that's like, you, you know, you were talking about the like frog character who can move from pond to pond. Mm. It doesn't necessarily make sense for all the movement types, I guess. No, not necessarily. But like, I guess... You could, but each unit could have something like that. Okay. So maybe the frog character is like their speed is halved on non-water tiles or something. So if they, to get to a pond takes them a while. Okay. Yeah. And you can slow them down a bit by being like, "Oh, you thought you were in a pond? Sorry, buddy. <laughs> You're on a gravel path." Um, and you could also maybe have like, yeah, they could still have one terrain type that they can't touch. Okay. Like, like, gravel might be a good example of that. I feel like that touching gravel's horrible for a frog. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we don't have to... We don't have to think too much about the sort of precise details of the different unit movements, but I think it would be good if they were, like, really integrated with the different types of terrain. What are the different types of terrain? How many do we want? So we've talked about lawn, rockery, pond... Um, gravel... Hedgerow, although... Hmm. Flowerbed? I feel like I would want there to be six plus lawn, because I think it starts as a bare lawn. Okay, cool. So yeah, rockery, pond, yeah, like flowerbed, soil. Yeah. Uh, we could just have a generic one that's just pathway. Yeah. Um, What else do you have in a garden? A patio. <laughs> yeah, patio. Uh, and then one more hmm. furniture. 
Yeah. <laughs> that would be a lot of furniture. Um, yeah, so something like that. So I, the reason I chose six is just because it's a dice-based game and I feel yeah. like, you know, six things. And it also means if you're playing a two-player game, it's possible that you could each control three. And if you're playing a three-player game, it's possible you could each control two. Yeah. Like, it's possible to get an even split, even if it's not necessarily going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're about halfway through the timer. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like we're kind of shooting ahead. Yeah. Uh, do we want to start thinking about sort of visual identity and brand and stuff? Because to me it feels like the core of the game's pretty pinned down. Yeah, I agree. Or like, not not necessarily, but if we were going to go any more um, granular, it would be... Very granular. <laughs> like, um, I think we could also think some more about the fiction. Yeah. Like, uh, so when we are gnomes, we were brought in a set. Mm, a set of three sister gnomes. Uh-huh. Perhaps uh, there was a fourth and something, <laughs> something tragic happened. Or she was knocked over by a fox. <laughs> um, she yeah. was the one that kept the peace between all of us. Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> little dark, but I guess it was always going to be. Um, and yeah, I guess the the like father gnome who sort of uh, was previously the the patriarch in the garden has has moved on, and we're all we're all at war. We're vying for control of the garden. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh my god, I've got the name. What is it? No man's land. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it works on multiple levels. Yeah. Because it's a war and it's got, like, you know, unclaimed territory. But also it's gnomes. Yeah. But also none of them are men. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and they're all on some man's land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry, it doesn't have to be that. No, it's pretty good. <laughs> we do like a punny name. Um, so yeah, like it's a it's a kind of a bit of a power grab in a power vacuum kind of narrative. Yeah, I would say that in my mind, I guess all three of the factions are kind of bad, like okay. slightly villainous. Not like big villainous, but a little bit. Like I guess I think about like this is kind of stereotypical from other games but like if you have a faction that has a lot of units that move fast and that maybe also has a like the ability to resurrect one unit but the units you know basically a lot of minions a lot uh-huh. of like, low hit points that's kind of a necromancer mm-hmm. and i do kind of like the idea of a gnome necromancer <laughs> i feel like that would be maybe the concrete animals like yeah, faction, like, yeah, especially because they always have those weird shiny reflective glass eyes, and you can just have them be like red. <laughs> and the topiary gnome is like sort of a you know like a dark druid type. Yeah, a little bit of an eco terrorist, poison ivy <laughs> person. Um, I think you know, like making characters into villains just tends to automatically make them more visually and like thematically fun. Yeah. Uh, and then the third one is the one that we think would have kind of like heavies. Yes. Um, so I guess those would be like, uh, yeah, like sort of bigger lawn ornaments. Yeah. Like when someone has like a sort of a full size, well, they're not a full size deer statue because that's a bit 
What if the necromancer? What if the heavies is the one that has the, like concrete? Okay, yeah. Animals because they're heavy. Yeah. And the necromancer has nose, like yeah. other nose. Okay. But maybe they're like mind controlled or something like that. No. <laughs> mind controlled gnomes. What a what a nightmare. Okay. Yes, I like that. I think that's cool. So you win by well, you end the game by getting one of your units into an enemy base. And yes. then you win by scoring the most points. Now, we talked a little bit about things you would score. So, you would score by oh, like owning a territory type which has a presence on the board, and you would count those up. Yeah. Score those. You would score by, let's say, capturing enemy units. Uh-huh, yeah. And maybe the, the necromancer type uh, faction sort of reclaims them, takes okay. them back. Okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, you would score on captured enemy units, and I think we said we'd score on like hit point total for those. Yes. So it's as good to capture six one hit point ones as it is to capture one six hit point one. Uh huh. Um, score. A, you get like a big point payout for getting into an enemy base. Now, does the game immediately end when someone gets into an enemy base, or do you complete the round? Because if, in a three-player game, mm-hmm. it would be possible that two of you were about to do it and yeah. it only happened because of the turn order. Yeah, I think so. I think you would want to complete the round. And, like, yeah, it you know, if on the same round everybody gets one of their pieces into an enemy base in, like, a three-way thing, that's, that's sort of quite cool in the narrative sense. Like, yeah. we've all, like, landed our spies sort of at the same moment. Yeah, and then it's it all kind of cancels out, and you just score on the other stuff. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Um. Do we want to add? Is there anything else that you would add to that? Like some things might be objectives, where like you score if you do more of something than someone else, or anything like that. Or do we just have it kind of be you know an open book? You asking that made me think there could be locations in the garden which are objectives in the sense that they provide some benefit. You get there and then maybe you gain some extra ability or something. Oh, like and if, if you have a unit in the gazebo at the end of the game, then you get gazebo points. I was thinking more like if you have... It, once you get a unit in the gazebo, maybe they have to stay there or maybe you capture this immediately, but maybe that gives you like a permanent dice power-up, like change one of your dice by one up or down or something. Okay, or there's something like something that's really hard to get to for some reason where you get an extra dice. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I quite like that. I feel like if you if there was something that got you an extra dice, I think you'd have to have a unit there. Yeah. I think you would have to pay some kind of price. Oh, definitely. And it like within the mechanics we've worked out there isn't a way to make that a challenge without like it being a sort of sacrifice a, yeah. a unit type thing. Okay. Which I guess would make it less valuable for the player that has the fewer units. Yeah, although being able to move their units more would be really valuable to them. Yeah. So that's some, that's a question we haven't asked. Can you Could you put all three of your dice into move and just move like crazy? Or do you have to pick three mm. different actions? <clears throat> or two of your dice into move, whatever it ends up being. In the tradition of, like, dice choice games, you normally have to choose, set different things, right? Yeah. Um, And especially because at the moment, attacking just means assigning a dice there. But then it means assigning a dice there to make one attack. 
Yeah. I think maybe it is good if you could just do a mega move turn or a turn where you attack three times. Yeah. I yes. I think so. Yes. And I, I don't mind setting it apart from traditional dice choice games. You're still making a choice, right? You're still like, if you choose the move a lot, you're not going to get to do anything else. No. Yeah. And I guess like, and the other thing you could do is choose to use all your dice to change terrain and then like you're like you're obviously moving and attacking sometimes but you could be playing almost entirely a like battlefield control a completely defensive yeah you could like if you you could just set your minions up round your base yeah. and like yeah i think that gives another another kind of strategic wrinkle yeah i really like that hmm yeah okay what does this game look like Obviously, we know it's got hexagons. Yeah. We know it's... I mean, obviously, there's a lot of green in my mind. Yeah. I guess I'm sort of imagining one of two things. I think it's either quite sort of tacky, mm. like, I I imagine sort of like bright colours. You mentioned that flamingo, and that kind of like bright pink against a green lawn is somehow like a part of the aesthetic that I'm imagining. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I see it. The other style that I'm imagining, and this might be a little bit, I don't know, conceptual, is like, you know, sometimes on like um, Ground Force or a show like that, they would do a like a design, you know, oh. like a landscape um, yeah, designer. They do like a, a drawing, and yeah. they've got the like bushes as circles and stuff. Yeah, um, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I do, I do quite like it. Uh, but I I agree that it's a bit too conceptual. Like, if we were doing a completely different game where you landscaped a garden as part of it, I'd be all over using, like, a landscaper's illustration. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm with you on the sort of tacky... You know, it's got, like, illustrated cards, but in my mind are kind of like something from Hearthstone or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. very colourful, you know, I'm seeing these gnomes, like... It is sort of a bit like Romeo and Juliet and stuff yeah. like that. Like it's very like you recognise what the thing is. It's just been drawn in like a pose and holding a big warhammer or like yeah. you know. Or yeah, it's got like purple fire and it's an outstretched hand, etc. You've seen that thing before in a garden. You, it's just been given like twenty percent more character. Yeah. Um, I think we're on the same page then. Okay, and how do we feel about No Man's Land? <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I I guess it we've it's not delivered on saying about the story, and I I, I guess I quite like the the like three sisters at, at war type story. I think you could use the box to communicate that a bit more. Yeah, like it's kind of um. Yeah, we were talking about a game called Three Sisters, not that one, <laughs> which is vaguely gardening themed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, hear me out. What if we weren't like Topurian gnomes? What if we were the pumpkin, the pumpkin gnome, and the corn gnome, and the Bean beans gnome? gnome. <laughs> um. So yeah, I I definitely see the box. Something of a Plants vs Zombies, something of a Romeo and Juliet kind of like cartoony, you know, I'm seeing like three gnomes and characters and they're kind of interacting with each other and, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe one of them's shooting some magic at the other one and one of them's like uh, commanding a topiary llama. 
I'm a character I've, ima- I've been imagining in this is like the, um, you know, the like fake, uh, like grey crane or whatever that you have by your pond to deter yes. birds. <laughs> you know, like that. That would be like a sort of a. It's got like the height advantage, whatever mm. that. And it's good next to ponds, but not in ponds. <laughs> yeah. It can like move around the edge of ponds. Sure. Um, okay. I think we've kind of done it with a little bit of time to spare. Do we want to recap? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we started with the idea of possibly making an epic or longer uh, duration game, um, which was a dice game and involved uh, themes of, uh, like, garden ornaments and sisterhood. And we have made this kind of uh, quite strategically dense, I feel, um, like movement combat, but also terrain control, uh, dice game based on three warring gnome sisters and their, um, garden ornament factions. Yeah, so in this game, you not only manipulate the terrain and who scores the terrain at the end of the game is kind of a dynamic point of play as well, so you also need to claim terrain types, but you also move, attack, try and infiltrate the enemy base uh, and you have different movement powers, different abilities different skills and uh, but it's sort of balanced across these three unique factions mm-hmm. we have called it No Man's Land and we think it's got quite a sort of kitschy presentation with sort of uh, yeah, like colourful illustrations got some crazy paving <laughs> exactly uh, oh, it's. I don't think we said this, but like the terrain would be sort of communicated through hexagons, so it's a hextile laying type mechanic. Yeah. Uh, and it's action choice as well. So you roll dice and assign dice to actions in order to, uh, in order to sort of manipulate your turn. One second. It's my boots. Yeah, they arrived today. They did. Uh, we can just cut all that. Yep. <laughs> So I was talking about assigning dice, and you can also use your dice to activate your faction power. Okay, yeah. Cool, and we think that there might be potentially like strategic locations on the board that give you um, some kind of additional like ability to use with during the game. Ongoing abilities, and possibly end of game scoring. Yeah. Alright, I feel like we knocked this one out of the park. Do you think it was the energy being in the room? Uh, I think that probably helped. But also, it is fun to bring some things where you're like, I don't know if these things could really be a thing. <laughs> um, and kind of run with it. Um, and yeah, I do, you know, as always, who knows if it would work. But the idea of the, like, the kind of two elements of the game, like, on top of each other, is quite fun to me. Yeah, I was very excited when I came up with that. Me too. Because it's really cool to think of a game which could play a bit like the kind of games I like to play that are short duration like it, I could play this game in a way where I'm focusing largely on the like abstract board game um, and that's fun yeah all right well thank you for listening listener yeah and uh, welcome to 2023 we'll see you for the next episode and until then good car! Good car!